Welcome. This is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 18 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is part three of our review of the ongoing special counsel's investigation of the Trump campaign and administration and its relationship with Russia. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, a podcast focused on the legal and compliance industry. This is the third of three episodes on the Russia investigation. In today's episode, I wanted to discuss the relevant timeline and possible next steps in the investigation. In the first episode, I reviewed Special Counsel Mueller's prosecution strategies, sources of evidence, the Manafort-Gates indictment, and the Papadopoulos plea agreement. In the second episode, I reviewed Special Counsel Mueller's plea bargain with Michael Flynn. Today, I want to turn to the status and progress of the Mueller investigation, the focus, and the anticipated next steps. When building these types of cases through brick-by-brick prosecution strategy, I always find it helpful to develop a case chronology or timeline to organize my analysis. There are two major periods within which to focus, 2015 through 2016, and the period from January to May 2017, culminating in the firing of FBI Director Comey. Based on court filings, congressional testimony, and press reports, here's a general outline of some key dates and events. In June 2015, Michael Flynn traveled to Egypt as part of a joint business venture with his business partners, which was interested in developing power plants in Saudi Arabia that were funded in significant part by Russia. This goal also had a major political component in that as part of the deal, Russia would distance itself from its regional ally, Iran, specifically in that a consortium of Arab countries would purchase military hardware from Russia as a substitute for profits that Russia otherwise would have derived from Russian military sales to Iran. The business venture was blocked, however, by sanctions on the necessary Russian entities and could not proceed without changes to remove the sanctions and alter U.S. foreign policy on Russia. Michael Flynn did not disclose this trip in his security clearance renewal application or in his interview with security clearance investigators. In the summer of 2015, Flynn first met with Trump. He was reimbursed by the Trump campaign for several trips, but it is unclear when Flynn and Trump officially began any sort of campaign relationship. Later, in October of 2015, Flynn traveled to Saudi Arabia. Although Flynn disclosed the existence of this trip in his security clearance application, according to congressional investigators, he gave evasive and incomplete responses concerning who he had traveled with, what the purpose of his trip was, and who had financed his expenses. In December 2015, Flynn and his son, Michael G. Flynn, traveled to Moscow to speak at the RT News Gala in Moscow. Flynn was paid for this trip through a speaker's bureau, but did not initially disclose these payments on financial disclosure firms he was required to complete after joining the White House. In September 2016, Flynn's company, Flynn Intel Group, signed a $600,000 contract of which $530,000 was ultimately paid with the Dutch company Inovo to lobby on behalf of causes that were of interest to the Turkish government. He later met with senior Turkish government officials on at least three occasions prior to Trump's inauguration 
to discuss the rendition or kidnapping of Turkish cleric Gulen for transport back to Turkey. Reportedly, for a total of $15 million, Flynn would arrange to have Gulen boarded onto a private jet and flown to a Turkish prison island. December 22, 2016. Following an Egyptian resolution condemning Israeli settlements, according to the statement of the offense in Flynn's plea agreement, quote, a very senior member of the, the presidential transition team directed Flynn to contact officials from foreign governments, including Russia, to learn where each government stood on the resolution and to influence those governments to delay the vote or defeat the resolution, close quote. The statement of offense does not identify this very senior member of Trump's team, but multiple outlets have idea, identified the official as Jared Kushner. Flynn spoke to the Russian ambassador about this request, and Ambassador Kislyak got back to him the next day to report that Russia would not veto the measure. One week later, December 29, 2016. On December 28, the Obama administration announced significant Russia sanctions in response to Russia's efforts to interfere in the U.S. election. As alleged in the information, Flynn called a senior official of the presidential transition team who was with other senior members of the presidential transition team at the Mar-a-Lago Resort in Palm Beach, Florida, to discuss what, if anything, to communicate to the Russian ambassador about the U.S. sanctions. On that call, Flynn and the presidential transition team official discussed the U.S. sanctions, including the potential impact of those sanctions on the incoming administration's foreign policy goals. The official from the transition team and Flynn also discussed that members of the presidential transition team at Mar-a-Lago did not want Russia to escalate the situation. The senior official of the transition team has been identified as K.T. McFarlane, who for a time worked in the White House as Deputy National Security Advisor under Flynn, but later resigned in April of 2017 to be nominated as the ambassador to Singapore. The other transition officials at Mar-a-Lago involved in the discussions about Flynn's communications with Kislyak have not been identified. January 12, 2017, the Washington Post reported that Flynn and Kislyak had at least five phone calls and discussed sanctions on December 29th. January 14, 2017, Flynn reportedly talked to Vice President Pence and lied to him about the substance of his conversations with Russian Ambassador Kislyak, claiming that he and Kislyak had not discussed sanctions. January 24, 2017, Flynn is interviewed in the White House by the FBI. He lied to the FBI during the interview about both his December 22nd and 29th calls with the Russian ambassador Kislyak. Two days later, Sally Yates, then the acting attorney general, informed Don McGahn, the White House counsel, that Flynn was not truthful with Vice President Pence and others based upon press reports concerning his conversations with the Russian ambassador. McGahn supposedly briefed Trump and other senior officials about the information provided by Sally Yates. The next day, McGahn asked Yates to come back to the White House again for a second discussion. He had four primary questions for her. Why did it matter to the Justice Department if Flynn lied to Vice President Mike Pence? What criminal statutes did Flynn potentially violate? Would taking action against Flynn immediately interfere with the FBI's investigation? 
Could he see the underlying evidence collected in Flynn's interview? Yates reportedly told him that Flynn was compromised and susceptible to extortion, and although she cannot tell the White House or did not tell the White House how to handle this, it was a serious matter. McGinn McGinn then asked if he could come over to review the evidence against Flynn. Yates told him, sure, but because it's Friday, she said, they will prepare the evidence over the weekend and asked McGann to come in on Monday. January 27, 2017. This is basically the same day with which Trump, with which uh, began and Yates had the conversation described. Trump invited James Comey to the White House for a one-on-one dinner and asked Comey, somewhat surprisingly, if he wanted to stay on as FBI director. Three days later, Yates invited Don McGahn to the FBI to review the evidence against Flynn. It is unclear if McGahn actually did do that. However, as that was the same day that Trump fired Sally Yates for failing to enforce the travel ban, it's not clear whether or not McGahn actually made it over and looked at the evidence. February 10, 2017, Trump told reporters on Air Force One that he will look into reports concerning Flynn misleading administration officials about his contacts with Kislyak, and he said, I don't know about that. I haven't seen it. February 13, 2017, Trump fired Flynn or Flynn resigned. Vice President Pence claimed that he first learned that Flynn had lied to him on February 9, 2017. The next day on February 14th, Valentine's Day 2017, Trump asked Comey to stay behind at the end of an Oval Office meeting for a private discussion. He said to Comey, quote, I hope you can see your way clear to letting this go, to letting Flynn glow, go. He's a good guy. I hope you can let this go. On March 1st, 2017, Trump called Comey on his cell phone just to chit-chat. Three weeks later, on March 22nd, 2017, Trump asked senior intelligence officials to get to the FBI and to Comey to get him to back off the Russia investigation. On March 30th, 2017, the Trump called Comey and asked him to lift the cloud of the Russia investigation against Trump and confirm that Trump was not being investigated. On April 11th, 2017, Trump called Comey to ask what he has done to remove the Russia cloud and get out the fact that Trump is not under investigation. On April 25th, 2017, Trump texted Flynn with a message, Stay strong. On May 3rd, 2017, Jim Comey testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee and confirmed the Russia investigation. On May 6th to 7th, over the weekend, President Trump decided to fire, President, to fire Director Comey. On May 9th, Trump fired Director Comey. The next day, on May 10th, Trump met with Russian officials, the Ambassador Kislyak and the Foreign Minister Lavrov. Trump told them Comey is a nut job, and now that he's been fired, the pressure he faced from the Russian investigation has been relieved. On May 11th, Trump, in an interview with NBC's 
correspondent Lester Holt noted that he had decided to fire Comey himself before any recommendations from the Justice Department and specifically from the Attorney General Sessions and the Deputy Attorney General Rosenstein. And he said he was motiv- and Trump said he was motivated because of this Russia thing. June 8, 2017, Comey testified before the Senate Intelligence Committee. This timeline is important and may reflect Special Counsel Mueller's focus on whether Trump or other senior officials advised Flynn to lie to the FBI, and possibly Pence, about his conversations with the Russian ambassador, and whether Trump's decision to fire FBI Director Comey constituted an attempt to obstruct justice. Moreover, emails released in recent weeks show that multiple senior officials in the Trump transition team had knowledge of Flynn's repeated contacts with Kislyak and his intention to discuss sanctions with him. Who these officials were and what, if anything, they communicated to Trump about this will undoubtedly play an important role in Mueller's investigation. Furthermore, the Mueller team is rightly focusing on the day-to-day events leading up to the firing resignation of Flynn. The knowledge that Flynn was under FBI investigation and or had lied to the FBI during his interview. Such knowledge, if known by the president and others, can easily implicate the group into a conspiracy to obstruct justice. The more each of them knew and furthered the effort effort leading to the firing of Comey, the more likely they could be charged with a conspiracy to obstruct justice. Similarly, the more people who were aware of Flynn's activities leading up to his firing or resignation, the more they can be implicated in Flynn's criminal exposure. Flynn's knowledge and explanation for his activities will be critical, and the extent to which it may be corroborated by documents, emails, and other witnesses will be critical to the investigation. Emails and text messages and meetings and conversations will all be critical surrounding this timeline. The potential for obstruction of justice charges being lodged against members of the Trump administration, including the president, is very real. In the absence of some criminal activity relating to the coordination between the Trump campaign and Russia, or the discussion about the sanctions, or knowledge of Flynn's freelancing financial arrangements arrangements and work with Russia and Turkey, a standalone obstruction conspiracy will be hard to justify an overall larger obstruction prosecution. Special Counsel Mueller has to present a compelling case. There has to be a motive for a group of defendants to engage in an obstruction conspiracy. The question is, why did Flynn and others lie, assuming that Flynn and documents right now can demonstrate such lying? Was there a quid pro quo? Russia was promised sanctions relief, for example, in exchange for support during the campaign or providing dirt on Hillary Clinton and or hacking the DNC and supplying materials to WikiLeaks WikiLeaks to disclose publicly. Or Russia provided other support through Internet communications supporting Trump targeted to key states in exchange for sanctions relief. These are some of the critical issues and some possibilities for the quid pro quo that have yet to be answered and we will continue to watch. Assuming that Flynn has information about some of his superiors, I expect the special counsel to, one, continue interviewing past and present senior officials, such as Spicer, uh, Spicer, the former press secretary, Reince Priebus, Hope Hicks, 
coupled with a careful review of extensive emails and other documents they've been collecting. Second, continue to build cases on senior targets such as Trump Jr., Jared Kushner, in particular Jared Kushner, remains a significant subject of the investigation, given his failure to disclose various financial interests and meetings he had with Russian officials, and given his central role in the decision to fire FBI Director Comey. And three, continue to focus on events surrounding contacts between Russians and Trump Jr. and other campaign officials in June 2016, with the meeting at Trump Tower and potential quid pro quo actions where the Russians provided detailed dirt of campaign support, targeting information to specific districts and states to help Trump in exchange for relaxation of Russia sanctions and restrictions. Here at Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, we will continue to update you with our insights and analysis as events unfold. As I tell my friends, buckle your seatbelt. We are in for a long ride with many twists and turns coming down the road. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkoff Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. At ethical companies, employees believe in the company, they feel vested, and are more productive. As a result, misconduct rates are much lower and financial performance is higher. We can help you achieve these benefits through an effective ethics and compliance program. You can learn more about our commitment to effective ethics and compliance programs at our website, www.volkofflaw.com, our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our new podcast series. You can contact me at my email address, mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com. Let us know how we can help you achieve your goals.